everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. My name is Jacob, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited for you to join us in week three of our Demo and Reno series. Uh, up to this point in the series, we've tackled two pretty heavy topics, and they've mostly been centered around the demo or deconstruction or doubt side of the series. Uh, the first was matter of faith, doubt, and what to do when you have more questions than answers in your relationship with God. What do you do when you feel the shame of those questions pushing in, and what do you do when you hear water running in the basement of your faith? Do you ignore it? Do you tear the house down, or do you look for a fix? And what does that fix in faith even look like? Um, our first week, we had this tower that we built to show what faith looks like. Uh, we talked about the holes in our faith, and we talked about the foundation that our faith is built upon. I got some feedback from a few people that they sat on pins and needles the entire message, hoping that the faith tower I built wouldn't fall in the middle of the sermon. And we'll hope it won't today, because I'm going to tear it apart even more, so that's going to be great. <laughs> we talked about the foundation that we build our faith on, uh, the foundation of God's Word, and God's pursuit of us. The fact that God loves us so much that He chases us and offers us a free gift of life. Anything else in faith that we build, anything else we build in this tower rests upon that. And if everything else falls apart, and if the questions become insurmountable, if we go back to that foundation, anything can be rebuilt. There may be a few things that don't fit super well, but that's the renovation part, and we're going to talk about that today. Last week, Zach talked about pain, suffering, and loss, and where is God when it hurts. Highly recommend you go back and listen to that one if you haven't. The concept is at the core of so many people's spiritual journey. I'm hurting. I'm hurt. I've been hurt. I see terrible things happening in the world, and where is God? In fact, that concept has been at the core of people's spiritual journeys for as long as there have been spiritual journeys to take. And I love the perspective Zach brought last week. Uh, next week, we'll be finishing up this series and doing a Q&A where we'll be answering pre-asked and live questions from the stage. Uh, we have a wonderful panel who I think you're all going to love. If you have questions or you have things you want us to talk about, you can scan the QR code on the chair in front of you or go to our website at dc2.me questions. We already have some questions preloaded. But this becomes a lot more fun the more we have, so we hope you'll play. If you have questions you want us to talk about, throw them in or bring them ready to ask live. Um, and if the questions are too hard, I'm just going to pass to one of our other panel members. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> All right. We've gone through two weeks that have fluctuated between the demo and reno concepts of the series, but have been a little more focused on the demo and deconstruction side. Today we're in the reno process. Uh, and we're going to go back to this tower of faith we built the first week. For most people, um, throughout your life, um, you continue adding on to this process of faith. These are things that you hear on a Sunday morning at church. These are things that you read in a book. These are times that you've opened up your Bible, pulled truth out of it. These are people that you've met with, people who have pushed you, people who have helped you grow. These are practices that you've put in place, um, things that you've done, things that you've added to your life. 
These are the things that you do as your faith continues to grow. And for most of us, as our faith is growing, as we're figuring things out, um, I think that there's a general belief or hope that this tower continues to grow, but also continues to grow more and more steady. Uh, that, that the foundation is good enough that it, it doesn't crumble. Um, and that our tower, that our faith, when we compare it to those around us, is, is solid. Um, but what most of us know, or what many of us know, is as you go through life, um, you start to get questions um, that don't always seem to fit, or you don't know an answer to. Questions like the problem of good and evil. Um, if God is good, and if God is all-knowing, and if God is all-powerful, why do bad things happen? The question's been around for thousands of years. Or you start to recognize practices that you've put together, things that you maybe grew up in church doing that now you look at and you think, I don't think that fits in well. In fact, I kind of wonder how that ever fit in. You start to think about people who have influenced you, pastors, sermons, uh, uh, people that now as you get older you think, um, I don't know if everything they said was true, but it's pretty core what they taught me. What do I do with that? And so you start to pull out more. Groups you've been a part of, decisions you've made, and eventually... Many of us have towers that might look a little like this. Um, and so if you were on pins and needles last week, I don't think this is less stable, but we'll see. This isn't abnormal. I think this is actually part of the faith process. Um, I don't think that faith and doubt, faith and questions are polar opposites. I think they're both sides of the same coin. Uh, but if this is where we are, we start to find holes in our faith, questions we can't answer, things we don't know what to do with, um, how do we renovate our faith? If this tower represents our faith or our relationship with God, then how do we begin working on the holes in our tower? How do we begin making sure we shore up the foundation, and are there times that it's just best to start over? Heck, is this even what faith is supposed to look like, or should it look different? And what if my tower looks nothing like anyone else's? How do I move forward? And if I'm stuck and I can't see what God is doing, what do I do next? And if I look back on my life, and there was a point in my life where faith and following God was really easy, and it's not today, is that normal? Is there something wrong? Can I just go back? What do I do? Let's jump into the renovation. I'm excited. Uh, one of my favorite groups on the internet um, is the fitness community, as you can tell. I am roughly the pinnacle of what it means to be fit. Know what I, I love about it. I do, I love this. It's like half of my YouTube, TikTok feed. I love these guys. Um, what I love about it is the amount of science and study behind it, as well as the simplicity over all of it. And I'm, at its core, fitness and weight loss can be broken down into a few simple things that are widely agreed upon uh, for weight loss. Are you generally expending more calories than you're taking in? Whether through diet or exercise or a mix of both, if you're generally expending more calories than you're taking in, you should lose weight over the long term, barring outside factors or medical situations. Uh, for muscle growth, are you taking in enough protein and are you working those muscles efficiently? If you are, then you'll generally see muscle growth. Two pretty simple concepts. 
Yet there's still a ton of debate on the best way to go about those things, or even if those things are true. With a quick Google search, you'll find articles on insulin resistance, ice bath therapy, a few hundred different ideas on even the correct way to lift a weight. You'll find countless articles on the role of different types of foods, low-carb, no-carb, Mediterranean, twitch exercise versus non-twitch exercise. Sometimes these ideas complement each other and go together well, and sometimes they wildly contradict one another. You can find more opinions, more studies, and more anecdotal stories on fitness and weight loss than nearly any other thing. And oh man, those different communities don't often get along very well. There's probably an analogy there. But at its core, most groups will agree on creating a calorie deficit for weight loss and protein intake and efficient muscle usage for muscle growth. Although seemingly simple when broken down to that single sentence, anyone who's ever embarked on either of these journeys knows it's not easy at all. It requires work, sacrifice, and a huge commitment. And you know what the biggest scam about getting healthy is? Even after you get fit, even after you get in shape, even after you get super jacked and have muscles on top of muscles and have an eight-pack and can lift a car with your teeth all while running a four-minute mile, do you know what you have to keep doing? You have to keep working out. And you have to keep eating healthy and keep doing cardio because it turns out now you have to focus on heart health and muscles and longevity of your body because it turns out that fitness and healthy eating and getting in shape are a lifelong process regardless of the shape you were once in or are currently in. This means that if you once had the body and fitness of an Olympic athlete, you don't get to rest on that for the rest of your life. And at the same time, if you currently don't have the body of an Olympic athlete, it's actually not too late to start training. And let me tell you, that's not the way I wish it was. I would love if at some point I got to take a look at my fitness level and just hit save on where I was and then just take a break and know that if I ever came back to it, that was my new starting point. Um, wouldn't it be great to take off 10 pounds, hit save, and know that's your new starting point? Or hit that mile time or weightlifting goal you've been aiming for, hit save, and know you aren't going to drop back below it? Instead, for many of us, we've been losing the same 10 pounds for the last 10 years. Because losing the first 10 is simple enough, but moving forward more than that is when it gets tough which is also the story of faith as well, right? Because it turns out that faith and going deeper in your understanding of God requires discipline because faith is more akin to a marathon than a sprint. It's a lifelong journey that requires constant training, and the techniques that used to work for you may not still work. And there isn't a save button for where you used to be, for where you've been, and if you put it on the back shelf for too long while you pursue other things, when you come back, um, faith isn't always easy, and pursuit of God isn't always easy, and things can feel rusty and hard, uh, even if there was a point in your life when it was just so easy, and you can't figure out the difference. That's why in Hebrews 12, the writer of Hebrews calls our faith a race, a race run with perseverance. If you have a Bible, it's Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Or like Paul in 1 Corinthians 9.27 when he says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear 
that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. For the writer of Hebrews and the writer of Corinthians, faith is a matter of training and perseverance and discipline and longevity. It's not something that you step into every once in a while. It's something that you pursue daily. It's prep for a marathon. Enter the tower. Enter our faith. The concept of discipline and perseverance and training and the concept of the marathon. As we're going through the renovation process of our faith, as we're taking a look at the holes and wondering what we do next, the first question that we have to ask is, how seriously do we approach faith? How much do we prioritize faith, relationship with God? And how do you continue to work at your faith and constantly return to it? And to be clear, this isn't about salvation. Because God loves you no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you. And the pathway to a relationship with God is a simple step and a free invitation. The door is easy to step through. It requires acceptance. It requires love. It requires belief that Jesus died for you. And when we talk about the work of faith, it isn't about being good enough or creating a standard that we'll never achieve. It's about taking faith seriously enough to prioritize it. Because in the renovation process, if you want to move through this, the question is, how are you engaging with God? And not just expecting it to work without that. When you hear from the author of Hebrews or Corinthians, does that resonate with you? or intimidate you? Does it ring true with the way you've pursued God before? Does it ring true with how you pursue God now? Does it irritate you? My experience as we go through this process of doubt and questions and deconstruction is it tends to cause people to shy away from God, to shy away from Scripture, maybe because we're afraid of what we'll find, maybe because of the wounds that we carry. I'll tell you, however, that the renovation process of faith is really hard to accomplish when faith is an afterthought or on the back burner. In the same way, you'd be surprised if you had a friend who ran a marathon with zero work. And in fact, if you're in a time of your life where you're still relying on the techniques, skills, and learning you received when you first came to know Jesus, if you're still relying on the truths you learned when you were young, if you're not putting God first and prioritizing Him today, then as fitness-minded people will tell you, as everyone in the room who's done diets and exercise will tell you, as every athlete will affirm, those muscles start to shrink. The weight starts to come back, and when you try to start up again, it can be rough. Enter shame. I can already hear the wheels turning in the heads of some because they were turning in my head as I wrote this. There are some places I should be further along than I am right now. There are some things I struggle with that I shouldn't anymore, and oh man, I really don't need another reminder that I can do better. And and as much as I try, it feels like that person over there, they're they're getting it, and I don't know why I'm not. Hey, Hey, me too. Which is why I start with the fitness analogy, because it's never too late to start up again. Um, Because my feed is full of people who are constantly shedding weight, getting in shape, running marathons, and pursuing the life they always wanted. And it starts with taking that first step once again. And for some in this room, that's a really small and easy next step. Um, For some, it might be quite a bit harder. 
If you're in the midst of this demo and rental process, heck, even if you're not, but you're a devoted follower of Jesus, I think you have to ask the question and pay attention, especially if you are a person who has been a Christian for a long time, what is my current relationship with the Bible? What is my current relationship with the Bible? To be clear, this isn't to be confused with what was my relationship with the Bible, or how well do I know the Bible because I've been hearing it my whole life, or what do other, tell me, what other people tell me about the Bible, or what do I read about the Bible in books, or how closely do I listen to sermons, although that's not a bad one either. <laughs> now, the question is, what is my current relationship with the Bible? Is it a constant source you're often going back to? Is it a book that you're constantly reading and rereading and diving into? Is it a constant in your life, or does it become stale? Is it something you refer to because you've been there before? Is it something that collects dust on the shelf because you probably already know most of it? You've heard the stories, you've heard the takeaways. Heck, about halfway through most sermons, you figure you could probably get up and finish it because you've heard a version of this before. Is that you? Or is the Bible a living, breathing document that is constant in your life? Because I'll tell you, like fitness, if it's not, you can't be surprised when things aren't the way you want them to be. And in fact, the person who opens up a Bible today isn't the same person who opened it up five years ago or 10 years ago or heck, six months ago. Because while truth doesn't change and Scripture doesn't change, our understanding of it does. It grows. It flourishes. And it's the reason that no matter how long you follow God for, no matter how many times you've heard the stories, God is constantly calling you back to His Word as you continue to grow. I'm most reminded of this from a story from my life. I, want, I have a story I want to call a, a canon event in my life, a core memory, a fork in the road I didn't know was there. I was 22 years old. I had a dear mentor named Josh. Josh taught me almost everything I knew about faith and growing in my relationship with God. One day I get a text from Josh that the nonprofit he worked at had laid him off. It wasn't just him, it was the majority of the nonprofit grants and budgeting issues. I was at work at the time, so I texted and asked if I could pop by his house later. Later that afternoon, I came by. His wife tells me he's in the basement. I head downstairs and I see Josh hunched over a desk reading. Now, Josh is normally the life of any room he walks into. He brings the energy. But as I walk down those stairs, I could feel this quiet, this somber moment, this lightness in the air that caused me to tread lightly. This is a man who had just lost his job, and I didn't know how he'd be doing. As I walked up, I saw Josh had two books open. The first was the Bible, this big, thick, rugged, well-used Bible that he had read pretty much every day of his life. Uh, the second was The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. If you don't know The Purpose Driven Life, just know that in the early 2000s, this book was everywhere, which was shocking for a faith-based book. It spent 90 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, and to date has sold over 50 million copies. Josh looks up from reading, and I see tears in his eyes. Bro, are you okay, I ask? The wisdom and care of me at 22 years old, if you want a little insight right there. I just can't get over this thing I'm reading, he says, pointing at the book. I glance down. He's on page two. He's highlighted and circled a part of the book. I lean down to read it. Before I tell you what it said, here's a small bio on my buddy Josh. When I met him, I was 17. He was in his late 20s. He's been a pastor's kid, has done mission trips, has been a pastor himself for a few years, and was one of the most spiritually focused men I knew. He still is today. 
Josh is a guy who, for him, for him, this tower of faith is something he comes back to every single day. He's in his Bible every single day. He's a guy I've sought answers from in my life more times than I can count. So when I bent down to read what he had circled, I was expecting something really profound, um, something earth-shattering. Um, what I wasn't expecting to see was that he had circled Ephesians 1-4 in the purpose-driven life. I'll have it up on the screen. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. And next to it was a quote from Rick Warren, the author of the book and pastor of Saddleback Church. Long before you were conceived by your parents, you were conceived in the mind of God. And I look over at Josh, and I'm a little confused because this is pretty basic theology. I say, Josh, why is this hitting you so hard? And my mentor, who I've never seen cry, has tears streaming down his face, and he says, Jake, before I ever pursued God, he was pursuing me. And I say, right, like that's the point of the Bible. I think that's like basic. You taught me that day one. I remember you teaching me that. That is really basic, Josh. Why is that hitting you so hard? And he says, no, Jake. My first church service was when I was five years old. And even before I entered that church service as a baby, God had already started chasing me. Before my first camp, before my first time serving, before the first time someone told me about God's love for me, he was already chasing me. Do you realize how huge that is? I can imagine there are some of you in the room who, like me, currently get goosebumps at the thought. The thought of a holy and perfect God who started chasing you long before you even had a glimmer of who he was. The idea of a God who chases us with reckless abandon and who is chasing us before we even think of him, uh, who's chasing us even when we're deliberately turned away from him. But at 22 years old, reading Ephesians 1-4, my immediate thought was, right, that's what I've been taught, that's normal. For my mentor, he was diving back into the heart and truth of Scripture, diving back into a passage that I guarantee he had read more than a dozen times in his life by that point, and he was floored as he was reminded of God's love for him. And when we read Ephesians 1-4 together, we weren't pulling the same truth out of it. The Bible calls this the concept of milk and meat. In 1 Peter 2-2, the apostle Peter has this to say. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. The idea of rebirth, regardless of your age, as you feast on pure spiritual milk given to you by a father who wants you to grow into salvation and the writer of Hebrews expands on this concept in Hebrews 5, 12 through 14 with a different approach. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. In fact, though by this time you want to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truth of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The writer of Hebrews distinguishes between the basics of faith, which he calls milk, and mature discernment, and constant practice and learning of faith, which he calls meat. When I was showed that passage, it was basic but important theology for me. 
for my mentor had this blooming, deepening faith. Um, there was a depth there that I was missing. And when I read that passage today, I'm floored by it. I'm floored by the idea of a God who chases me even when I'm not chasing Him. Uh, and truth doesn't change. Scripture doesn't change. I don't believe when we're reading Scripture that truth is in the eye of the beholder. I think that God had a purpose in the inspiration of what's written. But I do think as we grow and as we learn, our understanding of Scripture changes. One of the reasons faith is a marathon, not a sprint, is because our understanding changes the longer we're with it. If you open the Bible today, the person reading that Bible isn't the same person who read it six months, a year, five years, or ten years ago, and the truth you pull out of it may not be the same either. Because that milk and meat piece isn't a hard dividing line either. It's not like there's a day where you just arrive to understand truth. The more we pursue God and His Word, the more we have the opportunity to go deeper into His Word. So if you haven't cracked open in a Bible in a while, if you're still going off what you know, what you've heard, what you remember, if faith for you goes back to when it was easy, I wonder what you'd find in there. It might surprise you. It's interesting how basic of a concept we're going with when it comes to the renovation of faith. And that's not all there is to it. There's a lot more we could go into. Spiritual practices that keep faith alive, contemplation, meditation, silence, and solitude. We could talk about the dozens of different ways to read Scripture, to dive in, to see it differently than we've ever seen before. We could talk at length about the communal aspect of faith, which is such a vital piece, especially in this conversation, about how when I'm in a group and we read Scripture together, there are people that are bringing truth I just didn't see. Um, it's one of the reasons we do small groups or go over the sermons or a topic, because when we do this with others, it opens so many doors into our understanding of God. Uh, we can talk about, for most of us, living in a fast-paced Western culture, we have a general need for a checklist and a next step and an action item that comes when God seems to have this idea of continuing to circle a mountain. Uh, in fact, it would be easy for me, uh, the way that I would love faith to work, the way that I would love my understanding of God to work, is I study a topic, I understand it, I check it off, I put it in a box, that one's now done, I move on to the next one. Um, whereas many of us know, um, we often end up circling the same roads over and over again, going deeper and deeper spending a lifetime continuing to deepen our understanding. All of that is vital. And I'm sure all things we'll be talking about more and more as we continue to dive deeper into who God wants us to be. And if you're here today, if you're new to faith, and you're figuring all this out, just know there are a lot of people in here figuring it out too. We're all at different places on the journey. And if you're here, and it feels like your faith is in tatters, and you don't even know where to go next, I'm betting there's more than a few people like that here, too. We don't do this alone. And the truth we find in God's Word today is so much deeper and different than it was when we first opened God's Word. And I encourage you to start there. To be very, very clear, if you have been walking with Christ for the last 50 years of your life, I'm asking you to step back into God's Word and try to look at it again for the first time. Um, I had a situation with a, a nephew of mine where he said, 
Jake, I don't know what I get out of Sunday school and children's. And I go, oh, why not? And he goes, because they just, I've heard that David and Goliath thing like 50 times. I just know it perfectly. And so I give him the, you know, appropriate response and saying, hey, I think it's actually your job to pull something new out of it. I think there's a lot you can get out of it. I think I'm still learning things about David and Goliath today. He said, no, he understands it perfectly, which I think can be what a lot of us do. We've heard the stories. We know it. What is the Bible to you today? What are you pulling out of it today? Uh, And up to this point, I think everything I've said makes logical sense. It's pretty simple. Part of deconstructing our faith involves questions, doubts, and shame, and not knowing what to do as we play the comparison game of faith with those around us. Part of the renovation process is understanding the truth of what God has for us. It's understanding the truth He's planted in our hearts, and it's understanding the truth and power of Scripture and who God calls us to be. And if we end the sermon right there, that's an easy takeaway. Uh, Either for the first time of your life, in your life, uh, take a dive into God's Word, or take this as an opportunity to dive back in if you've been away for a while. Dust it off and take a look at what God's Word says about Him. Treat God's Word diligently, pursue it fervently, and make it a daily part of your life. Make the pursuit of faith and a relationship with God a marathon and discipline yourself. Pursue God even in the midst of questions, doubt, and shame, and watch as this tower of faith starts to slowly fill itself back in. And to be honest, new questions will continue to arise, and this tower will never truly be complete, and you'll constantly be pulling blocks out of it, at least on this side of heaven. But if you continue to pursue God and continue to circle His truth, coming to understand it deeper and deeper, you'll begin to see the tower take on some remarkable changes, and we could end there, and that's almost good enough. I've been struck, however, by a statement Zach made last week, a rather haunting statement that I couldn't shake. Zach, in his message about good and evil and suffering and where is God when it hurts, has a section of his message where he talks about being a materialist, about how he focuses on the world around us, the here and now, and how easy it is to focus on the things we can see and touch and feel, and how easy it is to actually shy away from the spiritual side of things. It was a great reminder that everything we do here isn't just logical or feel good, but there's another side to this. And I'd like to take a minute and jump into the spiritual side of this topic, Um, what could be referred to as peeling back the curtains just a little. Zach briefly touched on the spiritual side of faith angels, demons, God, and Satan. And when you take this topic and put it through that lens, it takes an interesting twist. See, it's fascinating because the Bible talks about a character named Satan, a thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy while Jesus offers life to the fullest. And if I were Satan, and I wanted to turn people away from faith, And if I wanted questions to keep piling up, if I wanted to knock down a tower someone had built over a lifetime, there were a few ways I'd go about it. I'd probably start with shame. And I'd cause people to look at where they think they should be compared to where they are now. I'd probably cause them to pay attention more to their neighbor than themselves and play the comparison game when it came to faith. Uh, But at the same time, I think I'd also point to the the hypocrites and the people in church who just don't get it right. Uh, The people who you know you're better than, and it's easy to judge. I'd probably point out the holes in someone's faith, and I'd point to their list of questions, and I'd make sure they knew those questions were off limits. 
I'd make sure they knew that asking those questions would really be an embarrassing moment and not something they want to experience. And I think I'd cause them to isolate themselves from others because comparing notes would ruin my entire plan. Because if you think you're on an island, and if you think you're going this alone, it's got to feel pretty terrible. No, as a person who's struggled with my own doubts and despair over the years, um, I know it feels terrible when you feel like you're in isolation. But I also know over the years that every time I've had this conversation, I get a lot of, oh yeah, me too's. Because while we're all in different parts of this journey, most of us have experienced the list of questions and doubts at times. So what's the flip? What do we do with that? I'm going to invite the band back out um, as we get ready to close. Uh, Next week, we're in the Q&A section of our series. Uh, And we'll probably give a closing remark next week to cap off the series. But for all intents and purposes, most of the sermon for the series is finished today. So I want to leave with a few things. Um, I want to take a step into the renovation process, um, and I've got a few simple steps if you're interested. First, um, open up the Bible with the intent of diving in. See who Jesus says he is and see what the stories and pieces of Scripture say. Not what do you know that they say, not what have you heard, not what do you remember it saying, not what have you heard the pastor say, but what are you learning in it today? Because the person who opens that Bible today is different from the person who read it last time. Because truth and Scripture don't change, but our understanding of it does. Recognize that if we pull back the curtains and talk about the spiritual side of this, there is an enemy who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. And I think he would love for you to be isolated in this. He would love for you to go this alone and not compare notes. So the best thing you can do is share and find others. Talk through questions, talk through doubts, and don't go this alone. I made the pitch a few weeks ago that if you were a person who had doubts or questions or struggles and wanted to connect with someone to shoot me an email, uh, I've had a few people reach out and say they would love to grab coffee with somebody and work through this. Um, And the response I've gotten from them is, I am not an expert, and I'm still figuring things out, but I think I would love to talk with anybody who has questions. That offer's still open, and in fact, is always open. Uh, and finally, shame and fear are real. Uh, they just don't have to paralyze you, because we can do this together. And if you're in the midst of this, and you feel like you've tried all the things, and you're not sure where to go next, let's find someone to connect with. Because we're all on the journey, all at different places, and sometimes just reading the same thing with someone new can be a great next step. Uh, and worst case scenario, it can't hurt, right? If you remove isolation... We step through shame, and if we choose to take a dive into what the Bible says and who we think God is, it won't remove questions, it won't necessarily remove doubts, and this process still exists, but true and powerful renovation can begin as well. Uh, A renovation that probably takes a lifetime and isn't finished on this side of heaven, but at least we can get started with a few small steps. Um, I would love to pray for us. Hey, God. It's Jake. I think I want to take a minute and um, commiserate with all of those uh, who I think have similarities to me um, who know the Bible pretty well and can probably fire off answers to most things. Who have read it cover to cover. And that can be such a crutch that we fall back on. 
because it's hard to read your word with fresh eyes and it's hard not to skim. God, I just want to seek truth. God, I want to take a minute and pray for uh, those who, um, as we hit this series, have talked about the doubt and the despair. Um, I think many of us resonate with that as well. And God, I pray that this would be a community where there are no questions off limits, there are no topics off limits, um, and that as we're able to share our journey, um, we get a lot of yeah, me too's. God, thanks for this church. Thanks for these people. Thanks for this opportunity. Amen.